Hello, just a heads up. This episode will spoil the first episode of the new third season of Succession and will also contain lots of cursing. Hello, this is The Review, a podcast from the Atlantic's culture team about movies, television, and all the things we make to entertain ourselves. I'm Spencer Kornhaber, a staff writer at The Atlantic, and I'm joined today by two other staff writers on our culture team, Shirley Lee. Hello. And Hannah Georges. Hey, hey. Well, this week we're talking about Succession, the favorite TV show of the media class, at least, and some portion of America uh, who understands why when you go on Twitter during Succession season, all anyone can do is post memes and talk about Tomlets and Gregories. (laughs) So it's been a few years since season two ended, uh, which was in October of 2019, before the pandemic. Season three picked up just this past Sunday and just a few moments after the events of the season two finale. I have been asked to explain my own role in the managing of illegality at the firm to recap in the season two finale, Kendall Roy was picked to be the sacrificial lamb over the scandal engulfing Waystar Royco, but instead used the press conference to turn on his father. Shirley, could you catch us up on what has been happening these past two seasons for anyone who hasn't seen the show or hasn't been rewatching it obsessively like some of us? <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, it is a Roy civil war. Logan Roy, played by Brian Cox, he is the patriarch of the Roy family. He is this kind of Representative Rupert Murdoch, media dinosaur, (laughs) Mm -hmm. kind of navigating this new world. And uh, in Shakespearean terms, he is King Lear trying to decide which one of his children is going to be his successor. And the hatchling chosen to be successor in season one was Kendall. What, calling him a hatchling? (laughs) Yeah, calling him a hatchling. (laughs) I love it. They are just little reptiles. They are. They're lizard people. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so in season one, Kendall attempts this hostile takeover of the company. He really wants to push his father aside. But instead, he gets sidelined by Logan because he is involved in uh, someone's death (laughs) while at Shiv, his sister's wedding. And Logan, you know, gets all of the power back in that relationship. In season two, uh, Logan just keeps Kendall under his thumb. Until, as Spencer just outlined, the two of them, well, (laughs) start this war because Kendall tosses him under the bus. The truth is that my father is a malignant presence, a bully and a liar. So in this conversation, we're going to be trying to unwind the mystery of what is it about succession that gets people so obsessed with it and why can we not turn away? Um, (laughs) We just watched the premiere of this new season, which was delayed um, from the pandemic, by maybe about a year. What were your reactions to this first episode, Hana? Oh, I'm into it. It's giving me all the chaos that I wanted. It's giving me all the things that I love from this show, which is the interpersonal drama, the familial drama, the tension, and like crucially the extremely ridiculous way that they talk mm-hmm. to each other. No, I felt the same way. I watch Succession for the ridiculous ways that they speak to each other. It's absurd, but it's not so absurd that it takes you out of the show. Senate, FBI. SEC, class actions, plus Sandy and Stewie. I mean, this is a 12-foot sub of poisonous tree frogs. This is the full Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors of fuck right there. Like, <laughs> who, who, t- 
talks like this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's it's just great. And I I love that this premiere just set up the sides of this war so clearly right off the bat. Part of why I watch the show, too, is for the schadenfreude of watching these, you know, uber-wealthy people torture each other. See, you're at the hellhole, bro. See you at the shit pit, sis. I watched the season two finale right before watching this premiere. And the season two finale, it's just maybe like one of the best episodes of television ever. Like it, it they go to a beautiful boat and mm-hmm. they basically have an hour-long discussion about who the human sacrifice is going to be. And it's just hilarious and sad and slow. It kind of like there's a slow build and operatic mm-hmm. and it ends with Kendall seeming to accept his fate that his father is going to basically send him to jail when his father really should be the one going to jail and then has this amazing sort of really dignified twist. Like, like Kendall seems like sort of like a noble person at the end of season two. How much those of us who executed his wishes bear responsibility is for another day. But I think this is the day his reign ends. Season three, I was kind of struck that it's like back to really intense, really chatty, really like down in the dirt, scrapping, yelling, swearing at each other. Um, everyone looks like a buffoon. There's no like, there's no beauty in this world again. Like it's just back to the mess, and that's that's really delicious so far. I love that this premiere kind of digs into how Kendall completely thinks that what he did at the press conference absolves him. Partly because after the operatic season two finale, it's like now you have a character who is so in over his head and he just needs constant convincing that he's doing the right thing. Hey, Ken, if, if you're okay, will you just say okay so that I know you're okay? You know, his team is like worried that he's never gonna come out of the bathroom and then he kind of bursts out and he's like, action stations, let's get into it. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, here's Kendall the buffoon again, you know? You see him kind of trying to like command the situation again and again. They then go into the car ride and he has this kind of first discussion with his father over the phone since betraying him. Right. There's that line where Logan says, you know, through the person who's on the phone with him, right, that uh, he's going to grind his bones and make bread out of it. Right. Like, and yeah, just (laughs) first of all, what a what an extremely vivid image to say to somebody that you want to let to your son. Yeah. Right. To not right. Not just like, hey, you know, a little disappointed. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm putting you in my sourdough. Uh, he says in that case, he's going to grind up your bones to make his bread. Some of my favorite scenes in this episode are the ones where Kendall is either speaking through some kind of fixer type or to them. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he says all of these ridiculous things like about Twitter at one point, you know, when he's talking with these yeah. potential like media handlers, like crisis people. Yeah. Right. Shall I talk or will you? Well, we want to hear your thoughts, of course. But you want to start off just hearing our five points? Sure. Sure. You go. OK. But I think so- the headline needs to be fuck the weather. We're changing the cultural climate. But you go. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> also, that's his headline. Yes. Like, <laughs> like I, what? what? <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah, he. it's that. And then he also, like, all of these things just, like, fire out of his mouth really rapidly where it's like you really can't track where his thinking is coming from. But primarily, it's ego-driven. Right. This is a man who thinks that saying... On a dumb level, I'd like my Twitter to be off the chain. Makes yeah. him self-aware, <laughs> and right that like because he gives you this disclaimer, it's like okay, it's fine. Well, he wants to hire the Bojack that. guys to help him out. He does yes. want to hire the Bojack guys. 
Before I get my media monitoring in place, I might need you to slide the sociopolitical thermometer up the nation's ass and take a reading. Okay? Uh -huh. I I'll get seasick. Just feed me the metadata, anything that's going to move the market on me reputationally, yeah? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, sure. This is something I've written about and thought about is what is language doing on this show? There is so much of it. Mm -hmm. uh, is it a sitcom, really, deep down? Or, or, or what, do you, what do you guys think is happening? I think it's aiming to throw you off. Right. It, it makes you think about, wait, what are they trying to say? But more so, it just captures the way that these characters live in this complete alternate universe. They're they're divorced from our reality. Right. Like they they live in their own reality. And the language that they speak to each other is aggressive and strange and metaphorically weird. Well, it's, it's delicate, um, like uh, French kissing an armadillo. The creator of this show, Jesse Armstrong, he just has a knack for language that sounds kind of absurd, but also makes sense in the context. His background is in writing some of the best British comedy shows of all time, right? So including Peep Show. Another one of the producers is Adam McKay. These are people with a grasp of just how the rhythm of language can be funny. Yeah, I mean, I've heard people criticize the show as having bad writing because they will hear a line of dialogue and be like, that line sucks. That line <laughs> makes no sense and sounds really pretentious, but is actually nonsense. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That is the point. The point Entirely is that, the point. that these people are trying to sound smart, sophisticated, ruthless. The old shibboleths are crumbling. And you know what? The elites are scared. They think that they live in an Aaron Sorkin TV show or a David <laughs> yes. Mamet play. And they think they're giving a TED talk. I'm talking to the Times about an op-ed draft an alternative corporate manifesto, drop a uh, rapid reaction TEDx, shit like that. I love that you mentioned Sorkin because it's like the way Sorkin has always talked about the way he writes dialogue is he thinks about it in terms of music and the rhythm of it. Mm. It's like these people have gotten the rhythm of language, but they forgot that words mean things. <laughs> 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 and like some of the best insults, if you just read them, you are kind of like, huh? This is bad writing. This is this means nothing. Like like when Shiv called Connor way back when, like first pancake. Like, it's like <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean, Shiv? But it's <laughs> delivered so brutally, and in the in the context of these Roy's, it makes complete sense. It's just the way it's said. <laughs> this is why you don't hatch a plan with Connor the first fucking pancake. First pancake. Okay, thank you. I wrote down a really bad Shiv line from this episode. Oh I don't want to be buried like Miss Haversham with a bonnet full of fucking strategium. Uh, <laughs> do you know what that means? <laughs> of course. Everybody, everybody knows exactly what that means. Yeah, it's Dickens, so uh -huh. it's smart and sophisticated. Mm -hmm. she, she doesn't want to go down. Yeah. Uh, the way they drop references, there will be highbrow stuff like this, sort of. And then, like, Logan once called Kendall Mr. Potato Head, like, my, my plastic <laughs> advertary. Like, <laughs> no, that's <What>? very good. <laughs> that is quick. But I, I'm sorry, my plastic adversary. In what context has Mr. Potato Head been, like, a, yes, plastic, but the adversary part, I'm just like, you. I don't know. It's, it's, my plastic adversary sounds like a pop punk band I would have listened to in high school. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Brain dump. Speak. Let a hundred flowers bloom. No comebacks. Logan is, is inviting everyone to speak freely in this episode about who should be the interim CEO, right? And like, <laughs> they're on this plane and he's in this room of his three white male advisors who are just all kind of like, yes men in general. Mm -hmm. And they're shocked that he wants them to just like brainstorm. 
And he says, let it, I want it to be like a let a th- thousand flowers bloom situation or, or something like that. And it's like, that is a reference to Mao Zedong, like inviting <laughs> dissent and, and then uh, punishing the dissenters. That's like a historical reference. And we know that Logan like actually cares about history and knows history. And so like mm-hmm. that, like that just cracked me up. And I'm like, did he say that on purpose that way or what? And does he think that they're going to catch it? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Our colleague Sophie did just pan the season (laughs) in her review of season three. And I do see where she's coming from, because if you view the show hoping to see these characters develop in a way where they become redeemable, then the season so far, just a premiere in, you might feel like the show has tricked you. (laughs) It's like, oh, weren't these characters going to be better? Ha, just kidding. It's still a show about awful people being awful to each other. But I, I I still find this show so compelling to watch because it is dissecting why the powerful behave the way they do and why they hold on to power. And Kendall, even if he's backslid, it's more tragic because of where he's come from. It's like it, it's through through his arc, you see how power reveals essentially who he is. And I remember in Sophie's review, she's pointing out like, you know, Shiv almost is an unrecognizable character. But I, I actually think this is a result of what happened last season to her, where she almost got the job that she wanted and then things fall apart for her. And now she doesn't really know who she is. And it does like raise the question of like, what is the fundamental appeal of the show? Why do you all think that we became obsessed with it in the first place? I mean, I think that there is something satisfying about watching terrible people be terrible to each other and watching the sort of underbelly of wealth, right? Like mm-hmm. that there are so many shows where to be wealthy is to be glamorous, even when bad things are happening. Like I really struggled with that when I was watching The Undoing mm-hmm. for that reason, right? That these are terrible characters who do terrible things. And at the end of it, it's sort of like, well, all right, look at how bad they were. <laughs> and <laughs> But like... With this, though, the people who are on the receiving end of the worst actions, at least interpersonally in this, are also terrible people, right? We don't see a lot on the show of the effects that the Roy family drama has on their workers, right? Mm -hmm. They keep a lot of that covered Mm -hmm. up. And so we're just experiencing it as Mm -hmm. Roy family drama for the most part. The family drama element of it, I think, is is what pulled me in um, at first. And I'll say that it like took a few episodes for me to get into Succession when it first aired. Oh, yeah. I was just kind of like, okay, this is this is funny, but my God, everyone sucks. <laughs> 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 but as as you continue watching, you do start caring about the siblings at least because the way they interact is resonant this is the way siblings treat each other not 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 okay (laughs) some of the way they interact is resonant I want to clarify like you support each other but you also like oh no I feel like I'm like you also try to kill each I'm other, right? I'm like, myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, we, we, all, yes, we all know that's how it goes. <laughs> Under the bus. <laughs> I know, I'm trying to be careful here. It's like, oh God, no, I don't do this to my sister. It, but it, there is just this constant sibling rivalry that like this show just manages to illustrate so well. But then it, it also goes back to what Hana was saying. It's great to laugh at the rich and not just like right. indulge in house porn or mansion porn and see how glamorous they are. And I was trying to think of how to describe this, but it's like it's like if you 
Like imagine watching a food fight at the Met Gala, like you know, like <laughs> an exclusive space, and everyone's ridiculous. Oh, and that would be lit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's thrilling. It's it's a safe space for mean humor. It's it, like we like mm-hmm. you know we like to say in this age that we support comedy that evolves away from making fun of people, right? Like, mm-hmm. but we also still like to make fun of people. I think like I think that's uh, something very fundamental. Yeah, um, especially to, if it's to, punching to, up. And so right. yes, when it's punching right. up, we feel okay about it. We can do it. So I think that's like a big part of why we have all of these bad rich people shows you know because like <laughs> you can't make like a bad unemployed person show like or like i mean mm-hmm. you could but like and they, and they certainly exist in history but right now is not a moment where a network like <laughs> HBO is going to green light a big, big punching down show but we can always you know laugh at the murdochs or the kardashians or the real mm-hmm. housewives because they're going to be fine yeah i was watching the the comedian Demi. Oh, yeah. Is it Agde Juyigbe? He's the one who wrote lyrics for Succession's theme. And now, during our conversation, this whole time, I've just had it playing in my head. And so I have to admit that, like, this, this whole episode, I've just been thinking about a kiss from daddy. <laughs> 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 and that's that kind of encapsulates well, the humor. Of I mean show. that. I mean it encapsulates what's also like yeah, very primally mm-hmm. like the family drama part of it, right? Like we we actually do mm-hmm. relate to these characters on some level. Is like if you had a complete narcissistic puppeteer father who abused you your whole life and played your siblings against each other, like you might turn out like some of these characters a little bit. And yeah. there's something even if we don't feel like them, we can you know empathize with them because of the way they're written. That's where heroes are born, Tom, on the battlefield. It's also commonly where they're killed, Jerry. I think it's like a very good show at like bringing together all of these different threads moment to moment. But I also thought that Sophie was onto something with her take on mm. this season, which I read to be that it was just a little plot heavy. Like it's, it's a little plot heavy so far. And I've seen a mm. little bit more of the season and it doesn't stop being so plot heavy. And if you think back to like the moments of this show that were my favorite moments it's like when the show kind of breathes and gets weird and they go strange places and they do strange things and have these like side conversations and it just again it gets a little psychedelic sometimes there's none of that this season it's just plot 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 it's who's going to who's gonna get the kiss from daddy like it's just (laughs) and you can turn it's like a real feast for a moment but then i think very quickly unless they change gears we're going Mm -hmm. to feel overfed I mean, regardless of where they end up going with the rest of the season, I haven't watched as much as y'all. I'm very curious about the Sonalithan character and just like mm-hmm. excited for her appearance in the first episode alone, right? Both because she puts Shiv in an uncomfortable position uh, yeah. and I enjoy watching Shiv squirm and try to figure out how to recalculate her moves, how to strategize again. And also because Sonalithan is just great to watch and this is a fun role to see her in. Yeah, so this is this is the lawyer Lisa Arthur, right? The that they one fight the, over. Yeah, one of the one of the four or five good women in the legal industry, <laughs> according to I think one of the I think Carl or Frank says, yeah, there's uh, there's four or five good women, but you know oh she's probably the God. best. Oh my God! Wow. There are three or four good women, but Lisa has an excellent brain. She's a winner. What a what a compliment. Um, she's also you know an old 
friend or something of Shiv's mm-hmm. and Shiv sort of turns to her, right, and is like, I really need your help in this moment. Things are obviously off the rails. Essentially, like, be on my side here, please. Lisa, I got no other fucking turn here. You know, my husband is a player in this. And uh, one world, there's uh, I'm in a position to come out here as CEO. Or I might have to leave the firm to protect my reputation. And Lisa sort of says, like, sorry, can't do it. Best of luck, girl. Um, <laughs> and Shiv is really rattled by it. Right. And she, like, yeah. all but says, like, okay, so you don't support women. <laughs> like, it's very... <laughs> <laughs> so it's so you're very... anti-woman? <laughs> right. Well, there's that... The social justice angle that they all kind of play on this season is fascinating. Like, Kendall mm-hmm. thinks he's so woke. And, and Shiv has, for a while, <laughs> been, like, you know, the Democrat in the family. Is there anything to that? Does she have any principles or do any of these people have principles or or what do principles mean to these people? I don't know. I found that scene kind of illuminating about Shiv. She's been torn apart by what happened in season two. And she was trying to pull a Logan. Like (laughs) the way Logan operates is he's aggressive. He shouts and he's kind of inscrutable. (laughs) And so people are always guessing what he wants, but he kind of just alters reality to how he wants it to be and things just happen because he insists upon it and you kind of see Shiv trying to do that in that scene like she was like you will do this and it's like no 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 so she walks away rattled because this is a trick that she's seen her father pull off I have a plan but I could easily get crushed between these two fucking men and I need to game things out and I need to do that with someone who can give me a read legally and culturally and politically and socially and okay look okay look 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 stop stop Shiv There's that moment where she says, right, like, I'm crushed between these two men. Mm -hmm. We get the sense that it's not just because of the scandal, because of how she wants to position herself in the company, but also, like, tactically in terms of how to move. Careful who you hit your wagon to, honey, because a lot of wagons are going in the ditch. Right. Thanks, honey. You're a Shiv stan, right, Hannah? I love Shiv. (laughs) I love Shiv. I think that Shiv is a terrible person, and I love her. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, to the point earlier about principles, though, I think that Shiv is interesting to me in part because she sort of gestures at principles, and she doesn't Mm -hmm. actually go there in any meaningful way, right? Mm -hmm. Like, in this scene, the sort of appeal to Lisa's sense of, like, womanly solidarity (laughs) is interesting, not because it reveals to us that, like, Shiv is a real, like, Democrat, Mm -hmm. feminist, like, resistance type. It's interesting to me because she's deploying it like she's very clearly weaponizing this idea and it's particularly interesting to me that she does it obviously with a character who's a black woman it's like right that there's like a level there's something operating there too and the calculus Mm -hmm. that she makes to do that in that moment and then the way that we see her like for a moment flinch in like Mm -hmm. a sense of like actual pain right when it doesn't Mm -hmm. work is interesting to me to watch play out it's like being woke is a tactic, right? It's right. a strategy. <laughs> and it is for Kendall too, right? But with mm-hmm. him, it's more obviously put on. It's more cartoonish, right? It's like, yeah. I want to be like super popular woke on Twitter, not like <laughs> I want to use this interpersonal moment with a friend who is a black woman to advance my extremely capitalist agenda. Like cool tweets to position you? Yeah, that would be the straight leg Chino way of putting it. Cool tweets. Who do you stand, Shirley? Who do I stand? That's a great question. Uh, I'm going to choose a Roy boy for my Roy child stand pick. Uh, I mean, I, I look, I do like Roman. Roman is this agent of chaos because he knows that he's probably not going to win, but he still desperately wants to win. He also knows that he's not actually as smart as Shiv. And what he knows is that he can be chaotic. 
<laughs> and he certainly is chaotic. And I, I love what they've done with him and Jerry. Like, I was reading an interview with um, J. Smith Cameron, who plays Jerry, where, which I think she said that this was just something the writers picked up on. This wasn't planned for the two of them. Like in wow. in one shot where they just like, they were filming the two of them walking away from each other and both of them had turned around to check the other's ass. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and that's because she and Karen Colkin, who plays Roman, they've known each other for a long time and, you know, they're playful. And anyway, that got picked up. And then the writers, I guess, behind the scenes were like, love this, love this for both of them. <laughs> Lean in. Do you think you really yeah. think Roman isn't as smart as Shiv and, and the other family members? I mean, when you watch the premiere and you see how Roman just doesn't understand the game as well as his siblings, excluding Connor, <laughs> like he's the one who calls daddy and pretty right. much explicitly asks for the kiss. And that is not something <laughs> after this much time spent with daddy, you should not be asking daddy for a kiss. <laughs> Dad, you beat Roman with a fucking slipper and Gustav till he cried for ordering lobster. Remember? He's someone who was made fun of, beaten down, put into a dog cage, and he has no self-confidence and self-worth. But kind of, you see him acquiring some ambition and also acquiring mm -hmm. some business sense. We got an hour, pitched hard, and yeah, they say they want in. Uh, too modest, he killed. Remember, he was taken hostage last season because he was navigating this deal in the <laughs> Middle East. He really both brought in the deal and then told his dad, I don't mm -hmm. think this deal is good. And it was, it kind of comes off as the right and brave call. And here mm -hmm. in this season, very early on, he's advising the family, don't cooperate. Let's play hardball. And, you know, mm -hmm. Jerry's going against it. Everyone says that's just nuts, but it's what mm -hmm. Logan ends up wanting to do at first. That's true. And I wonder if he is actually the real killer of the family. I fucking love money, but I'm really scared of you. So Maybe you're onto something here. I feel like a lot of television critics assume that maybe this season would be about Roman because the first season was about Kendall and the second season was about Shiv. I would like to see yeah. Roman step into a potent arc. Ooh. Yeah, it's Romy time, finally. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> Romy time. I forgot about it. <laughs> well, I'll stand up for Kendall. I actually have been obsessed with Kendall. Mm -hmm. He reminds me of an old boss I had um, <gasps> who spoke entirely in jargon. Um, <laughs> and... We know so many Kendall Roys in our society, like so many oh, yeah. hotshot dudes full of BS, just spewing buzzwords who think they know best. So it's it, the show kind of starts from that place with Kendall and then really finds the like tragedy in him. And the way Jeremy Strong played him throughout season two when he was just broken, defeated and basically Oof. on a leash held by his father mm -hmm. was unbelievable. Like, that was the base note of the show in season two, was this kind of very human torment. Hey, Dad, I, uh, just out of interest, um, did you ever think I could do it? And then seeing him kind of throw that off. In the finale of the last season, his dad's like, I don't think you could run the company. You, you're not a killer. And he's like, well, yeah. I'll show you. I'll be a killer. And now we're seeing if he can do it, if he can hold it together, or if, as Roman says, he'll implode because it's his favorite thing to do like yeah that's like the ticking time bomb of this season like will kendall flame out spectacularly and yeah. how much will i cry when he does oh <laughs> kendall does break my heart i'm i'm with you this has gotten a little stale kendall will self-destruct because it's his favorite and this all fades the fuck away 
So we've talked about a lot of things about Succession this episode. Um, the wealth angle, the writing, the family tragedy. But like, if we had to say one thing, what is it that's keeping you all watching and will make you tune in next week? I just think that Succession is like no other show. Like we've established, there's a lot of TV there. There are a lot of films about wealthy people, but Succession is like specifically gross. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like our colleague Megan Garver wrote a really great piece about the bodily horrors of succession a while back. Just it's it's not just the language. It is, you know, the the foot fungus that cousin Greg gets. Like there's just mm. an element of rot to the show. Uh, it's a fungus, they think. Benign fungus. Great title for your memoir. What's that? A benign fungus. When I watch this show, I feel like I'm like rubbernecking to watch like a weird science experiment <laughs> happening and like I'm also getting shot and Freud out of it and but I'm also feeling like surprisingly empathetic to you know like it's it's that mixture and it's such a precise mixture that no other show brings out of me <laughs> yeah I think for me it's the writing because all of those dynamics in any other show even put together I'm not sure that it would work for me like I don't enjoy mm -hmm. watching TV sort of through my fingers, whether it's like horror or like because mm -hmm. of secondhand embarrassment, like it's not what I want in my viewing experience but with this because the way that they talk is just so absurd and fun and sort of finds its way like into conversations that I have with friends sometimes, right? Like it's just easy mm -hmm. to make a reference and to have that slide in. I just, I can't get enough of it. It's so bad. I just, this is, yeah, it's bad this how is, much I like it. I mean, not that the writing is bad. I quite enjoy the writing. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're down bad. Uh, yeah, yeah. For succession, <laughs> me. <laughs> we're we're simping for succession. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. No. I'm kidding. We can cut that out. <laughs> um, yeah, this is the only show in which like you can have a character talk about an attack child, and it makes total sense. Correct. Yeah, yeah. The quality wiggles, um, or at least yeah, my little suspicion that maybe we're in for a not as good season has me reevaluating what I actually do like about the show like the writing is still quite good and quite funny and you know on rewatch i just like catch all these lines that are just like just delicious but they're not keeping me engaged scene to scene and there's also the family drama that's still there but it's not mm -hmm. giving me that super propulsive feeling that i got from like the best moments of the show at least yet but the moments that really crackle for me are the mm -hmm. ones where you get a kind of almost documentary feeling look at how the world of wealth and power and government and just masters of the universe, how that actually mm -hmm. works and feels moment to moment. But this place is sick. Oh yeah, it's, uh, it's fashion week. All the good penthouses are gone. You know, the, the moments when the underlings have to speak to one of the Roys and the Roys are just saying completely outrageous things and the underlings have to be like, Okay, got it. Yeah. Or when Jerry's on the phone with who I presume to be the chief of staff of the president of the United States. So off the record, what's the temperature at Maine Justice? Any danger of them or Southern District going Batman on this? Um, the attorney general is very smart. Oh, we all love Bavik. He'll, he'll see through this, right? Jerry's trying to feel out how much trouble the government's going to give Logan. Mm -hmm. You know, she has to phrase her questions in this way that is um, not inviting accusations of, you know, bribery or quid pro quo. And so yeah. 
she's kind of just phrasing things very sort of like jocularly and <laughs> delicately. And she just says right up front, like, oh, we're not asking for any favors. You know, we're just curious. What is the AG thinking? Blah, 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 blah. Where are we at? Maryland's prickly. So that's your only issue, Maryland. Well, maybe you should just fire her. There's a long, long pause. And the chief of staff is just like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> you know, like so that on any transcript that you're reading of it, if it ever comes out, this is played off as a joke, right? Yeah. And it's like, that is actually, I think, how it works. Like, I, I you know, yeah. I'm not, you know, I think that actually <laughs> might literally be in the transcripts from the Trump White House or something. You know, like, I yeah. think that, that conversation probably actually did happen. And so yeah. I think the show's writers are very attentive social critics and, and like satirists and, and, and journalists too. I just hope the kind of like the feeling of like super drama comes back. I do love the button to that scene though, because that's a great scene to bring up. Good work. Basically supportive. Good work, Jerry. Oh my God. <laughs> that, that was your takeaway from that call? <laughs> right. And when she's yes, like, men. oh, he doesn't want to fall out with him. And the chief of staff is like, yeah, right. He's the president. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a, there's a shot of Shiv during that where Shiv like makes a phase. Like, what is this conversation? <laughs> anyway. I mean, this conversation is an indication that we could just keep literally quoting and describing things that happen yeah. on the show all day because that is like the magic of it is just like everything is so delicious. But we probably have to go. Before we do, let's finish with one last parting question. Who is your underrated character on the show? Not a Roy sibling, but someone on the margins. Hmm. I think I've already given an impassioned speech about Lisa Arthur, the Sonali thing character. However... <laughs> bring up another you know capital w woman of the series uh, <laughs> we go back to raya jarrell um i love yeah. i love any i love any figure who sort of puts up a fight with the roys mm-hmm. as a collective but with her in particular there was a real sort of like fortress like vibe to how she mm-hmm. responded to the roys you know like taking over the thing it was she cared about, the thing it was that she was attached to last season. On behalf of the Pierce family and the media organization it is privately owned for 150 years, the message would be a typically balanced, nuanced, and objective fuck off. I just enjoyed watching it. And I also just, to say it, I love to say the name Rhea Jarrell. It just it has a little, you know, very... <laughs> it is a fantastic name. Yes. Good yeah. names on this show. Rhea Jarrell, Tom Wamscams. Tom Wamscams. <laughs> that I don't enjoy saying out loud. No. <laughs> it's rough. Yeah, I'm also... I was thinking of choosing another woman as well. <laughs> Ooh, wow, we're queens of feminism. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, I actually, someone that I would really love to see more of who's just constantly been on the margins is Marsha. What do you think? What? I have to dance for the daddy too. Like, mm, she's mm-hmm. she's not one of the Roy kids, but she is in that Logan inner circle and, you know, has had to face the worst of Logan as well, but in a very different way. And I, I just, I would love to explore the, you know, the first lady of this family. This is my appeal for more Marsha. I want to know what Marsha's thinking. <laughs> it's one of the weirdest things about the show is that that character mm-hmm. has never really gone that many places, right? Like we, they haven't mm-hmm. done a ton with her and she seems so mm-hmm. fascinating. Yeah. Um, well, because I am a wonderful ally, <laughs> I am also picking a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Please delete that part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my side character is very side. Her name's Jess Jordan. It's Kendall's assistant. Oh, oh. Jess Jordan on Kendall's phone. She does very little other than open her eyes really wide and look very <laughs> tense and just says, yeah, okay. Or he's not available right now. 
Or, yeah, she was the one relaying Logan's um, crusher bones and make them into bread speech in the car. Yes. And she was just, it's just a symphony on her face. Like, she has to be the professional and not assert herself and, like, just be this completely neutral vessel. But she's, like, yeah. radiating at this incredible level of stress, you can tell. And <laughs> it's just a really incredible performance by the um, actor, Juliana Canfield. Um, she needs an Emmy. Sorry. (laughs) She really is great. She like self-edits where she doesn't relay the F-bomb. Tell him that I'm going to run up off the fucking beanstalk. Okay, Logan. Yeah, he says in that case he's going to run up off the uh, beanstalk. Yeah, she's a professional. He's kind of laughing, but not like nice laughing. we all hope to have a Jess Jordan in our lives. (laughs) Well, that does it for the show. Thank you to you all. This episode of The Review was produced by Kevin Townsend with help from AC Valdez. Uh, Our art is by Charlie Boulay Mignon and I'm Spencer Kornhaber. Thanks, Shirley and Hannah. Thanks, Spencer. Thank you. 